Welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration, IPA for short. My name's Sean O'Neill, and I'm a staff member at the Institute. I'm happy to be the host for this episode. Thanks for tuning in. On today's episode, I'll be discussing the topic of housing finance and community development in Wilmington, Delaware with Deanna Sargent. Deanna is a Vice President of Community Development at Sinair. Sinair is a full-service financial partner that supports community and economic development initiatives through creative loans, investments, and best-in-class services. They help community development organizations, lending partners, and socially motivated investors accomplish goals in underserved communities. During our conversation, you'll hear more about Diana's personal and professional background, as well as her day-to-day work at Sinair. At the end of our interview, I also asked Diana to share her thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement and how that has impacted her both personally and professionally. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today we have Deanna Sargent with us, so thanks for joining us, Deanna. Thank you for having me. Yeah, absolutely. If you can just tell us a little bit about your background and where you're from originally and you know a little bit about your professional background. Sure, so I am originally from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, And I earned my Bachelor of Business Administration from Temple University with a concentration in real estate and finance. I worked in commercial mortgage servicing for about six years um, after graduating with my bachelor's degree. And I worked at what is now Bercadia, what used to be GMAC Commercial Mortgage. I then decided to go on and pursue my master's degree um, in public administration, um, which I earned at the University of Delaware. So that's what brought me to Delaware um, and earned my master's degree from UD back in 2013 and focused on housing policy, affordable housing, and community development. And that was with uh, CCRS? Yeah, so I had a two-year research assistantship as a grad student with CCRS, the Center for Community Research and Service. Okay, great. Yeah, so glad to have a Biden school alum. I guess it was pre-Biden school, but you can claim it now. Pre-Biden school. (laughs) Yes, definitely will claim that now. (laughs) So how, you know, question, but interested to understand sort of how you got into working into affordable housing as a career? What What's your uh, passion that kind of guides you and drove you into that as a career? Yeah, um, and I, I always felt like affordable housing was very important. And um, whenever I think about my um, life path and what brought me to this, I, I always think back to a time in high school where what was actually my first service opportunity. So my senior year in high school, I was nominated to join the National Honor Society. And in order to become inducted in the National Honor Society, um, you had to play sports or be affiliated with sports and also um, be involved in community service. So I hustled to find a community service um, opportunity. And it was at a a transitional shelter called St. John's Hospice um, in Philadelphia at 12th and Arch, I believe. That housing shelter was for um, men 
and also for um, people living with HIV and AIDS. Um, and so I got a group of my friends together and every, I think it was Wednesday or Thursday throughout the rest of the school year, um, we went down and volunteered at St. John's Hospice to help feed um, people who uh, were in need of a meal. Um, these were people who lived at the shelter as well as people who maybe were living in the street at the time, unsheltered. And um, that really opened my eyes to um, the needs of um, people who were experiencing homelessness, um, as well as people who were in need of housing. Um, and so that, um, I think that led me down the path of majoring in real estate and finance um, in undergrad and really um, focusing more on how to create housing opportunities and um, working at GMAC Commercial Mortgage and Servicing, um, I did a lot of property inspections for Fannie Mae and um, Freddie Mac Housing, which was affordable housing um, development. And I just realized the importance of, of having that housing stock. But then I realized that I really wanted to do something where I was making more of an impact. So really being able to interface with people um, in the community. And so um, after doing some research, I realized that the best um, next step for me was to pursue my master's degree in public administration um, and have the opportunity to work um, on policy and research um, or administration um, administering affordable um, housing um, services directly um, like HUD um, HUD-like um, resources, and so that led me to um, UD, and I think the, re the rest is history. I was um, able to have some really great opportunities as a, as a grad student working on a re research project for um, DEMREC to try to design a social impact model to um, measure the intangible benefits of brownfield development um, this project was specifically focused on brownfields in Northeast Wilmington. Um, and then I went on to intern um, and then served my second year as a grad research assistant with uh, Newcastle County's Department of Community Services, um, which is the department that houses community development and housing for the county. And they, the Community Development and Housing Division administers home, CDBG, uh, the Section 8 program for Newcastle County, and also at the time, the Neighborhood Stabilization um, Program, NSP. Um, and I got a chance to work under the amazing, um, amazingly talented Carrie Casey. Um, so I have to give her give her a shout out. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, we've recently interacted with Carrie, some of our housing work and discussions. And yeah, she's a wealth of knowledge. And uh you know, been around been around the state for a good period of time. I guess just to elaborate a little bit on your experience in Newcastle County, if you can talk about maybe the, the some context as to how that work is different than uh, working in the city of Wilmington. Yes. Um, so in my in my capacity, um, it was a little bit different um, in that I think the biggest distinction is they administer the Section Eight program. And also, they um, did an excellent job of coming up with a model for the neighborhood stabilization program 
um, which at the time was a recovery program from the 2008 mortgage crisis. So they did a really good job in coming up with a model to create affordable housing for home ownership, um, which is a huge um, need. Um, and they were able to home in on that. Also, while um, working at the county, I had the opportunity to interface with other divisions under the Department of Community Services, um, one being the Community Program Division, which is run by Jane Ratani. Um, and it, it was a really great opportunity to look at things comprehensively. Um, I was asked to um, create a map and incorporate all of the community programs that the county um, was administering and overlay that with the low, the moderate income census tracts um, because the county really wanted to make sure that their community programs and services were being offered um, and accessible to um, low and moderate income communities. So I think working there really gave me the opportunity to look at the affordable housing programs that were under the county's purview, but also um, think more broadly about incorporating community programs and services, which is extremely important when we're talking about making sure that um, communities, especially low and moderate income communities, have access to affordable housing as well as community services and resources. Yeah, it's a very large uh, division in the county. I think they handle parks mm-hmm. too, correct? So yes, parks and and libraries mm-hmm. as well. So I guess now you're at Sinair, and wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about you know Sinair, what what kind of work Sinair does, and your day to day work now in the you know leadership in our area uh, with Sinair. If you want to take it from there and. Sure. Um, so when I talk about Sanair, I like to start off big and then drill down into um, the more focused work that I do um, just to help give um, people an understanding of our organization as a whole. Um, and I like to start out with the history. Um, and so a lot of people in Delaware know us as um, the Delaware Community Investment Corporation, DCIC. Um, which was a nonprofit started about 27, 28 years ago by a consortium of local banks here in Delaware as a vehicle to get their Community Reinvestment Act, CRA credit, out the door um, and invested in um, multifamily affordable housing and also community development projects such as um, charter schools, daycare centers, community health clinics, um, things that bring resources and services to the community. And so back in 2013, DCIC merged with a like-minded nonprofit called Great Lakes Capital Fund. Um, Great Lakes Capital Fund is based, based in Lansing, Michigan. So when people look us up and they see the Michigan affiliation, um, that's where that came from. So um, Great Lakes Capital Fund started around the same time that DCIC did, and they did an exceptional job of really expanding um, the breadth of work that they do, um, primarily in low-income housing tax credit um, equity syndication. 
Um, and we had uh, DCIC had done a really great job of creating a good model for um, multi-investment um, loan funds um, to support affordable housing development and the development of community facilities. And so it made sense for two um, like-minded nonprofits that had a very similar mission to merge together. And so with that merger in 2013 came additional resources that was brought to Delaware and also allowed us to expand our Delaware presence into the surrounding mid-Atlantic states, so Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. In the following year, in 2014, we went through a rebranding process to uh, come up with a, a new name because it didn't make sense for Great Lakes Capital Fund to continue to refer to themselves as the Great Lakes because they now had a presence in the Mid-Atlantic. Mm-hmm. And it didn't make sense for the Delaware Community Investment Corporation to continue to call themselves DCIC because we now expanded into the Mid-Atlantic and also we now had a, have a presence in the Midwest. And so we rebranded and, and we changed our name to the mayor. So were you there during the rebranding of all this, Deanna? Yes. Um, so I was there um, through that process. I started in 2014. So I jumped in right after the merger. And in 2015, um, that's when we officially changed our name to Sanair, tying both of the organizations together by name. And Sanair is actually a Celtic compound word with uh, C-I-N-N-A-I-R-E being two words blended together that really represents the essence of who we are, which is advancing communities in a, a very thoughtful and caring way, which is the approach that we like to take with the work that we do. Because yeah, someone from Irish heritage, I can appreciate you more now. <laughs> <laughs> My CEO, Mark McDaniel, would, would love that. Okay. Um, and so to, to filter down from um, the big scenario um, to, the, to the work that I do, and I should also mention that we're a community development financial institution at CDFI. And I share that because that um, ties into the work that I do day to day. And um, CDFIs, or I like to explain it by saying that we're an intermediary between banks and the community, and we do the deals that banks tend to shy away from um, that are more risky, um, but deals that need to get done in the community. They're very impactful and transformational. And it's interesting because we are funded by, by banks, but banks get the CRA um, credit in, in return. And, and we also take on doing the, the servicing and the, the underwriting. So we take on a little bit more of that work. And also as the CDFI, um, we provide technical assistance for those deals that are perceived as a little bit more risky to get them to a place so we feel comfortable managing um, that risk. And so as a CDFI, we really wanted to dive deeper in into some of the communities within our, our footprint. And I should say that we have a, a nine-state footprint um, across the Mid-Atlantic and the uh, Midwest. And so this deeper dive um, was branded as our priority city initiative and was approved by our board um, about four years ago or so. And the three cities, priority cities selected, were 
La Crosse, Wisconsin, Detroit, uh, Michigan, and Wilmington, Delaware. And so I oversee the Wilmington, Delaware priority city work. And so uh, the my approach here in Wilmington is really working with community-based organizations to help them advance their neighborhood revitalization um, initiatives that are very important. A lot of the communities in Wilmington have um, established neighborhood revitalization plans, and they really want to see the work get, get done. Unfortunately, um, where the revitalization plans tend to languish is with implementation that's heavily dependent on access to capital. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of organizations that are very active um, have a challenge in getting um, access to capital. Um, You don't see a lot of private investment um, in many of the communities outside of the central business district or the uh, riverfront um, sometimes because um, it, you know, the market may not support it for a, a private investor. And so as a CDFI, what, um, what we like to do is see how we can work with community-based um, organizations to get them the access to capital that they need to see their very important um, projects come off the ground mm-hmm. and revitalize neighborhoods. Yeah, it's and it's so important. I've worked in real estate development a bit in the past, and uh, yeah, it's it seems like as time goes on, it gets tighter and tighter in terms of what those you know that are financing deals want as a return, and it's it's mm-hmm. they they want less and less risk and a higher mm-hmm. return over time, and it just makes putting together you know those kinds of projects that are in areas that. Uh, you know, or maybe a little bit less desirable than than the areas where you'd have a downtown development district or an area like the riverfront where there's been a ton of investment. Um, mm-hmm. it, it makes it even more difficult. So I know you have a, a couple new initiatives going on that's an area that kind of tie into that conversation mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. So our priority city work, I like to say, is um, bottom up. Um, we don't want to be top down and and go into a community and say, um, here's what you need, here's how um, how you need to do it, and here's how we are going to help you. We look at things as a partnership with the community and not doing things for the community. And so a huge part of that is leveraging the community's voice and really listening to what the needs are on the ground and what the priorities are and um, seeing what resources we have in-house um, within Sanir that we can bring to the table to help support um, neighborhood revitalization. So I stepped into this role back in 2018, um, shortly after the board approved um, the Priority City Initiative. And my very first task for myself was to go around and just listen to a lot of the community organizations that were working to um, implement projects and programs within the community. So I talked to local community development corporations, community-based organizations, nonprofit developers, for-profit developers to understand um, what the challenge, challenge in Wilmington communities was, and then also what resources were needed to help support 
um, the efforts in the community. And based on these conversations, I came up with four focus areas for our Wilmington um, Priority City work. And um, one was, the first is um, single family housing development. And that's that piece is providing funding to support single family housing development, primarily for home ownership. Um, in the city of Wilmington, many people will tell you there's over 1,500 um, registered uh, vacant and blighted units um, in, in the city. And there is probably um, another 1,500 that are not registered. Mm-hmm. And so um, with, with having the presence of vacant and blighted units, it doesn't do a, a, a great deal of good for the community. We we know what type of activity that can bring about, and also it can um, depress home and market values within the community. And a lot of the community plans um, state that you know they want to see that issue addressed, and they want to see um, higher rates of home ownership um, in the city. And so, Zanier, we wanted to um, come up with funding mechanism to provide um, construction financing as well as gap subsidy that's needed to uh, renovate, uh, rehab, or newly construct um, affordable housing for home ownership. Um, And many developers will tell you that in Wilmington, at least, there's, and I'm sure this is true for um, other cities, I know it's true for Detroit, there's a, a, a subsidy that's needed to fill in the gap that a lot of developers see uh, between the cost to rehab or develop a home versus the cost to sell it. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted to um, create a one-stop shop funding mechanism for um, developers, which we're still working on, but there are other um, state um, and other local programs that support providing that subsidy um, in the meantime. So um, so that's the, the first focus is coming up with that, that funding um, mechanism. But in, in the meantime, we do have construction financing um, products that we can offer for developers who are interested in um, developing single family housing. And I, um, I do have to acknowledge my colleague, Susan Frank, who um, had been working on this prior to our, our city um, our priority city work. And so I just want to make sure that I acknowledge um, her for um, bringing, um, highlighting highlighting that need for the funding mechanism based on what we've heard on the ground um, to the table. And I also um, want to highlight um, Trinity Health, who that's the parent organization of St. Francis Healthcare. And they um, provided us with a, a, a loan for two fund single family housing development, really looking at health and housing and the intersection between the two and ways in which they can bring health care dollars to support um, housing, um, single family housing development, especially for home ownership um, in Wilmington. So we have a really great partnership with Trinity Health and St. Francis Healthcare around that. So I know that was um, pretty long. Just that's on the okay. Yeah, that's, fan- that's all fantastic. Yeah, <laughs> so I wanted to um, highlight those partnerships, which are really important. That's great. And what is that program called? So it's, it's not a program um, as of yet. We refer to it as a the Wilmington Healthy Neighborhood Fund Program, okay. which we're still working to stand up the fund. Um, 
but we we do have financing available to support the construction um, of single family housing. So I like to just promote it as at that um, for now until we get the, the fund up and running. So th- the second focus is um, providing funding to support um, the development of community facilities that. Um, bring resources and services um, to communities and are considered assets. So things um, like this will be a, a mixed-use project that maybe has residential on the second um, and or third floor and um, a, some sort of commercial unit that's bringing services to um, the community. And that could be a, a cafe or um, a, a small shop, a restaurant. Um, that could be a community center. It could be um, a, a, a vertical farm, things of that nature, and, and also a facility that um, has programming such as a, a workforce development program, um, which is very important in, in, um, in thinking about how to build up the people within the community and um, creating economic opportunity for people in the community and really focusing on the people base. Um, aspect um, in addition to the place-based aspect of community development. Um, The third focus area, all of these are very exciting, but I think I get most excited about the third focus area, which is helping to increase local developer capacity. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is a really critical one um, because, again, when I went on my listening tour, as I like to call it, um, when I stepped into this role, um, developers indicated we need more developers. <laughs> we need more developers um, in Wilmington um, to to create the scale that we need to really see change in addressing the vacancy and blight and creating um, housing and affordable housing opportunities. So we thought about with respect to local developer capacity and how we could somehow impact that area we have our own development arm, Sanair Solutions. Sanair Solutions is an entity that primarily co-develops, or at least in Wilmington is co-developing with local community development corporations that may not have the full capacity um, to develop a project on their own, um, or they may not have the full knowledge and expertise. And so um, I like to think of it as teaching a person how to fish and mm-hmm. so um, Sanair Solutions will co-develop um, with local community development corporations on projects to help help them understand the development process, provide guarantees or other things that are needed to complete um, the, the development project. And then the intent is that after the first project or two, that CDC would be able to go on and develop on their own without mm-hmm. the help of the partnership of Sanair Solutions. So Sanair Solutions um, is on the ground here and is currently working with three um, local um, development organizations, um, the Central Baptist Community Development Corporation on the east side, Be Ready Community Development Corporation on the west side, and Delaware Valley Development Company in West Center City, and they're working on a range of projects from um, mixed-use rental and commercial, um, affordable rental and commercial, and single-family housing um, development for affordable home ownership projects. So that's one way um, that we are hoping to impact the local developer capacity um, issue 
second way is through um, the Jumpstart Wilmington program, mm-hmm. um, which uh, officially opened. We officially opened our application um, process yesterday, August thirty-first. Uh, and the Jumpstart Wilmington um, program actually is modeled after a program that was started in Germantown called Jumpstart Germantown. Mm-hmm. It was started by Ken Weinstein. And the overall purpose is to um, train aspiring developers who live in the community on the development process so that they can develop their own community. When, when we think about um, sometimes how gentrification and displacement can happen in communities, um, it often happens by people coming in um, who may not necessarily be invested in that community, didn't grow up in that community. Um, they may purchase property and develop it in a way that may not necessarily be in the best interest mm-hmm. of that community. So the idea is you have people who grew up in that that neighborhood and just need uh, a bit of um, training around understanding the development process. And some people may already um, have knowledge um, of of real estate development through serving as as a, a small scale um, contractor or uh, being somehow involved in um, real estate or property management, and just need to understand the full gamut of the development process. So the Jumpstart Wilmington program um, gives people that opportunity. It's not an all-exhaustive real estate development uh, program uh, where you get a degree at the end. It is very fundamental, and it it goes over the basics of development. But the idea is for those who complete the program, they'll then be paired with a mentor who's an experienced developer so that hopefully their learning doesn't stop after the training program and that... um, the hope is also that they do make the decision to commit to um, to developing and um, they can then work with their mentor um, to get um, further guidance around um, the development process. And so the Jumpstart Wilmington program will create small scale developers um, who are from Wilmington and want to develop Wilmington or someone who has a commitment to developing in Wilmington. And we're hoping um, that through this program, it will um, increase the um, local developer capacity and um, be able to generate the development at scale that we want to see to really start to effectuate change. Mm -hmm. Um, But then we also see this as a a wealth building opportunity for individuals who really are committed to um, developing because this could be a business. This could be a small business. And so... Um, you know, if we, we equip people with the tools that they need, um, we're hoping that that would create employment opportunities for not only them, but also for additional um, need for contractors and all of the other resources that are needed to put together a development project. And it's been very successful in Philadelphia. It started in the Germantown neighborhood, which is about the same, that one neighborhood is about the same size as the whole city of Wilmington and has now, um, it has now um, branched into several other neighborhoods in Philadelphia. So, so we're, we're really excited about bringing Jumpstart Wilmington here and for anyone who is interested in learning more about the program, we have a website, www.com 
jumpstartwilmington.org. Okay, great. The very last focus area is just age-old technical assistance, which uh, CDFIs provide, um, again, to help organizations um, get to a place where um, they can get a, young, a, a loan. Um, and so sometimes um, people may go to a bank and a bank, you know, has their criteria and maybe um, the individual or the organization doesn't meet that criteria and they're denied a loan. Um, with CDFIs, sometimes we may not, you know, it may not be a no, it's just a no, not right now, but we want to work with you to get you to a place of yes. Um, because at the end of the day, we want to make sure that um, we're not putting our borrowers in, in debt or giving them a loan that um, maybe their project can't handle. So it's working with them through the um, financial model, the performa, through um, the project um, and understanding the, the construction timeline and things that may somehow impact the, the project's cost really understanding that and giving technical assistance on how to structure their um, their project or their deal so that it can carry a loan that's going to help the project be successful and um, help the organization be successful. So it's, it's the technical assistance that CDFIs tend to provide to say, how can we get to a yes and how can we make this we recognize that this project is important and how can we make sure that this project works for everyone. Great. I wanted to just briefly get your, your thoughts on, you know, your experience working in both Wilmington and Newcastle County in affordable housing and, and housing security. Uh, what are some of the obstacles that you've seen or you've come up against that are relatively common? Yeah, so uh, major obstacles I'll say are um, access to capital and, and really having the the subsidy needed to make the project work, especially um, if it's affordable. I, I think it's easier to create market rate units because you're creating um, units for a population that can support the target rental rate or um, if you're selling the home that that fair market value. But when we talk about affordable housing, it has to be discounted and discounted in a way that is not passed on to the consumer. So that discount usually comes from a subsidy. And when we talk about rental housing, the most successful program to date has been the low income housing tax credit program. Um, because it creates a good amount of subsidy to support the uh, affordable housing development. However, as I um, just mentioned on the home ownership side, it, it's very challenging to to get that subsidy to create home ownership housing. But, but luckily, there are some programs such as Delaware State Housing Authorities, Strong Housing Neighborhood Fund. You have the home program that's administered by the city. Um, and you also have the Federal Home Loan Bank of Pittsburgh's affordable housing grant program that can bring subsidy into a, into the deal. Um, but unfortunately, it's just it's not enough. So, you know, I would say that that's one of the biggest obstacles when we talk about creating affordable housing. Also, NIMBYism. We, we think about 
affordable housing. And I think people's mind tends to go to concentrating affordable housing, low income housing and already low income communities. And it's when we try to develop affordable housing, low income housing and communities that are not heavily concentrated. And I think the Delaware State Housing Authority refers to them as areas of opportunity. Um, you get a lot of pushback, the not in my backyard. I don't want this here. There's a misperception about um, the um, type of people. Unfortunately, there's a misperception about the type of people who live in the affordable housing or low-income housing that um, causes people to push back. So that's also a, a huge obstacle. And I would also just say the living wage, or a lot of people are starting to refer to it more as a sustainable wage, and um, and just having people um, be able to afford housing. There's a lot of people who work um, one, two, multiple jobs to try to afford the housing that they live in, but they're just making ends meet. And so I would say another obstacle when we look at the the people who are who are living in affordable housing or housing in general, just being able to make enough money to afford the, the housing that they live in. There's the concept of being cost burdened. And when someone is cost burdened, it means that they're paying more than 30% of their uh, gross income um, on housing. And uh, really the rule of thumb is that no one should pay more than 30%. But I think the last statistic that I read is that more than 50% of, of renters who are living or almost 50% of renters who live in Delaware are paying uh, more than 30% of their income and in, in housing costs. So when we think about the obstacle too, we have to look at what, you know, what people are making to be able to afford, afford housing. Yeah, that's, that's all really good. Thanks. Final thing. And I hate to leave this to the end because it's probably the most important topic we touch on today. Mm-hmm. Uh, tying into some of those is, um, you know, as a an MPA graduate from our school and, and as a leader in uh, this space and affordable housing in our community, I was interested to get your thoughts on the Black Lives Matter movement and um, mm-hmm. how how it's tying into your work. And then your thoughts on what, you know, public officials, planners and advocates can do to better promote equity and social justice in our area. Yeah, I think the Black Lives Matter movement has highlighted systemic racism. Um, I think a lot of people are, not enough, but (laughs) a lot more people are starting to open their eyes around systemic and um, institutional racism. And the Black Lives Matter movement has, for the most part, centered around police um, violence against people, Black people. And I think that that has been the most visible to everyone, but it's definitely elevated the conversation around social justice issues that run through a lot of these different sectors, um, like housing, like the criminal justice system, like education, 
like environmental injustice. And quite frankly, people of color have been sounding this alarm for a very long time. And I mean, it's, it's great that people are starting to pay attention to it. But my hope is that people will listen more um, and believe more um, when people talk about it. The systemic racism and the social injustice as it relates to my work in housing and, and community development, I like to hearken back to The Color of Law by Richard Rothstein. If you haven't read that book, I highly recommend it. It's a great way of breaking down some of the root cause issues um, and understanding um, social injustices, root cause kind of um, rooted in, in housing and discriminatory housing policies and practices um, that were very intentional um, over a century ago that prevented African-Americans, people of color, and, and um, way in the, the early parts of this um, immigrant from being able to get access to housing opportunities that were in resource-rich areas. And by resource-rich, I mean near good schools, near their jobs, in areas that um, were not environmentally contaminated. Um, and these practices also allow for white people to see a lot of equity because of their home values. Um, and, and we all know that looking at that history, that equity has created a lot of wealth. Um, and so when we talk about the racial wealth divide, a lot of that stems from people of color not being able to generate um, wealth from home values. And then when you think about home values and how that plays into property taxes and how property taxes are used to fund our schools, and we look at where the disparities are in schools that are populated by predominantly children of color um, and how they're oftentimes under-resourced, then you, you look at the education or the opportunity gap in, in education. Um, you look at where the housing um, was placed for people of color in, in areas that had environmental contamination and pollution. And you look at the environmental injustices and you start to look at the health outcomes and the health disparities that exist within people of color. And so all of that is factored into a system that's perpetuated by, by policies and systemic racism because it was very intentional around making sure that people of color did not receive the same opportunities as our white counterparts. And so what I say about that is for everyone who's working in this space, and quite frankly, no matter what you do, you're working in this space. It's not just about housing. Um, it's about the whole co community and looking yeah. at the holistic approach um, yeah. to it. It's, it's about really understanding the root cause issues and not just treating the symptom and putting a Band-Aid on the issue. Um, because what that does is just allow the issue to re resurface 10, 15 years down the line. And we find ourselves having the same conversations that we've had before. 
And what I say to that is in order for us to really examine root cause issues and try to break the cycle, it requires a great deal of patience. It requires funders. It requires people who are a part of this community development practice to really look at short-term, intermediate, and long-term approaches to addressing the ALS in our community. Sometimes we tend to be short-sighted because we want to be able to see quick results. But these communities didn't get like this overnight. And so they're not going to, the issues are not going to be addressed overnight. And so it takes a great deal of patience and understanding what those issues are um, to resolve them. And I had another point around that, but um, it escapes me. So I'll come back to it. No, that's okay. That was, that was fantastic. And I, yeah, I, I appreciate all those thoughts. It's, that's really insightful. You know, recently, I guess I've, as a planner, I went to planning school, got a master's degree in planning and learned a lot of this stuff as in grad school. And I've worked, you know, now almost 20, 20 years since my undergrad and a while since planning school. But the thing that's really impacted me this year about this whole conversation as a professional is the, you know, kind of the role that land use and zoning and planning have in this whole discussion uh, mm-hmm. And for me, particularly, I've really honed in on on the topic of NIMBYism that you mentioned earlier. And it's just, it's totally reframed that whole idea. As planners, we always talk about it as sort of this, almost this thing you expect, and it's annoying, and we joke around about it. But it, it really is much deeper and more serious about the, you know, than that, I think. And it, it says something about our, our society, if you think about it a little bit deeper. So I uh, appreciate Appreciate you bringing that up. Yeah, and I just thought of my my second point, which is <laughs> very critical, and and you touched on it too with just land land use and, zone, and zoning, and um, when we talk about redlining and how that created segregated communities and and blocked people of color from wealth building opportunities through through home ownership, it, it really comes down to the system when we talk about systemic racism and systemic policies. Um, it comes down to the system and Sometimes we're so comfortable operating in the system and we think that it works for most, so it's okay. Um, it, it's too much to, to overhaul the, the system, but when it's creating perpetual injustices and inequities, sometimes we have to think about dismantling the system so that it works for everyone. And, and that creates a disruption and that's, mm-hmm. going, that's very difficult to do because you're, you're basically breaking down a system that, that we relied on for over a century, but when it is um, habitually not creating opportunities for everyone, um, we have to look at dismantling the system. Mm-hmm. And that that requires a harsh look at our policies and seeing what policies need to be um, redeveloped to make sure that everyone um, has equitable and, and equal opportunities. Yeah. Well, that's, this has been fantastic. And I could probably talk to you for another hour or two, but yes, we me should too. Probably... <laughs> I, I love talking about this. Maybe stuff. we'll do a part two at some point. Um, I would love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much for doing this. This has been fantastic. And I, I really appreciate you being our guest today. Thank you so much for the opportunity. For more information on Sinair, please visit Sinair.com. And for more information on Jumpstart Wilmington, you can visit jumpstartwilmington.org 
To learn more about IPA, you can visit us at ipa.udel.edu. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Subscribe to First State Insights so that you'll never miss the podcast.